If you want to go ahead and turn your copy of the scriptures, if you have one with you, to Luke chapter 17, you can pull it up on your device, or we'll have it on the screen for you. Luke chapter 17. Some of you maybe have heard a little bit of our story as a family and know that uh, several years ago, uh, more than a few actually, uh, we started to sense, we being Jamie, my wife, uh, the beautiful songbird that was just here, um, we started to sense, the two of us, that God might be stirring in our hearts to start a new church, to plant a church. And it, it wasn't anything uh, flowing from any kind of animosity with the church we were serving at. I was on staff at a church. It was a great church. The people are still awesome people. I talked to some of them sometimes. We loved them. It's going great. But, but there was just something stirring in my heart. Going, man, what do, what do we do to reach folks who aren't being reached? Like, what do we do to do church not necessarily better, but just different to reach those that aren't being reached by what we are doing now? And so that started this big, long journey of, of prayer and seeking counsel from godly men and research about what does it even mean to plant a church. And I uh, went to uh, some church planting training seminars. And I remember being at one of those seminars, and the guy was up front, and he was sharing some some, uh, some information and some tips from his experience planting a church and uh, all kinds of stuff from practical stuff like, like strategy and how do you think about money and how do you, all this different stuff to spiritual stuff. He's sharing all this and he's talking about his experiences mentoring church planners and how he would try to walk alongside uh, guys as they were starting a new church and try to be there with them and figure out how to help them. And he said he would always ask each of these guys, he would say to them, how can I help you? What's, what's one tangible thing I can do weekly to help you as you're launching out on what you believe God's leading you to do to start this church. And he said he would get all different kind of answers. And he, he really loved that. And he would try to help. But he said the one answer he would never forget, he asked this guy who would announce to his church that he was going to be leaving his church to go start a new church. He, he asked this guy, what, what is it that I can do for you at least weekly, something tangible I can do for you that will help this church that you believe God is birthing, help it flourish and go forward. And he said, the guy looked at him and said, man, if you could just, just text me or call me every week and remind me to tell people about the church. And the guy was trying to be kind and gracious as he was presenting this, but he was like, wait, huh? He said he kind of did a double take. So the guy looked, was like, yeah, I mean, I know, but he said, man, I just, there's just a lot going on. So if you could remind me to tell people about the church that we're starting, that would be great. And the guy presenting was, was nice about it, but he was like, hey, look, here's the deal. If you believe that God is putting in your heart to start a new church, if, if he's saying, hey, I want you to go to a certain place and start this new work, you probably don't need to have to be reminded to tell people about it. <laughs> that's, that's probably going to be a little bit of a problem if you don't remember that you want to talk to people about the church, if you're thinking that people might one day come to the church, right? Like that's not going to be good for you. Remember him talking about that and just me, my, the way my brain works, I probably wasn't as kind to this guy as he was telling the story. I was like, man, how could you need that as your reminder, right? Like I could see like don't talk about the church so much so that you don't focus on your family. There's a lot of things I could see, but not, hey, I need a reminder to tell people about this vision that God has given me. It, it seems weird to think that he would need that reminder. It's probably one that he shouldn't need. But you and I, if we're honest, there are reminders regularly in our lives that we probably shouldn't but do need, right, if we're just being honest. Right? You need a reminder sometimes about distracted driving, 
Nobody wants to talk about it. I know without a shadow of a doubt, there's not a single person in this place that's guilty of distracted driving. I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to ask you to raise a hand. You've never done it. You are just appalled that I would even bring it up in this place. It's not for you, right? But for all the other people in the house that tell the truth, right, we need a reminder sometimes, right? We, We need a reminder because we forget it's such a dangerous thing to take out a phone and just glance at what that text message says. And those three or four seconds of eyes here instead of eyes there on the road could change a whole bunch of lives really quickly, right? We should know that. It should sink in with us, and yet we need a reminder. Now, I'm not quite sure that I understand the idea of putting reminders about that on flashing billboards up over the road. I don't know how that, I'm not, I'm not calling anybody out. If you're one, the person who made that call, you probably know reasonings I don't. You're smarter than I am. I'm just saying, isn't that distracted driving if I'm reading about? Not, anyways, you, we'll talk about that later, right? But we, we need reminders sometimes that we probably shouldn't. Some of you, and most of you are going to be men on this one, Maybe you have a reminder that Siri gives you once a year. <laughs> or you have a note on your calendar that reminds you that your anniversary is coming up. Now, you probably shouldn't need a reminder of the date of your anniversary, should you? Right? But you do. Because at the end of the day, here's what you know. Life is moving fast. There's a lot of things trying to get my attention. And if I don't intentionally make a mark, right, carve something in stone to remind my mind that this date is coming, I'm just goofy enough that I might mess up and completely forget it, right? I know that my anniversary is January 7th of 2006. Woo! I was worried I was going to say it backwards because I do all the time, right? But I still have on my calendar a reminder to tell me. So many times I think that we got married on the 7th. No, we did get married on the 7th of 06. I think we got married on the 6th of 07, which would mean a whole year less with this angel. And dear God, that would have been a travesty, right? And so right, we need a reminder. We need a reminder of things maybe sometimes that we shouldn't. I want to take our minds to that place because as we are in week two of a Bible study series we're calling Trademarks, what we're doing and the eventual aim of this series is to kind of look at some identifiers of authentic Christian community. Because it's easy to, to be a church, or it's easy to hang out with some other Christian people, and it's easy to call yourself the Christian group or the Christian folks or whatever, and there may be some good things happening, there may be some stuff that looks really sincere there, but the Bible's very clear that if we're truly in the kind of authentic Christian community that God has designed to be His church, there are some things that will be present. We're going to see some of those in the weeks to come, but last week and this week, we're pausing before we jump out into that journey a whole lot to have a couple of reminders that maybe we shouldn't but probably do need. Last week, if you were here, we said just a a quick reminder that if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, then the church is you. The church is you. It's, It's your responsibility. It's your opportunity. You are considered the church in the eyes of a holy God. Whether you've signed your name on a line somewhere with a local church or haven't or don't believe in that or whatever, when you're a follower of a Jesus, a, a part of your identity shifts such that you're now part of the collective called the church. And so when you talk about things that the church does, you use the word we and not the word they. You ever notice how we change from we to they based on how much we like what we or they did? <laughs> Right When we won the game, right? it's the team you've never played on, played for, or practiced with. You have nothing to do with it. But when the game is won, it's we won the game. When the coaches made bad decisions, I can't believe they did that. Right? Same team. Three-minute span of time, everything shifts. Last week, we said, listen, here's a reminder that we probably shouldn't need, but probably do. The church is you. 
So whatever this church is going to be locally, whatever the capital C church, all the Christians in the world are going to be, we need to individually take ownership and go, that's me. That's me. This week we're going to see another one of those types of reminders. And I, I believe it'll probably be in some ways a hard word. But I also believe that if we really embrace this hard word, it may open our hearts to be a floodgate of just grace into our own lives, but also allow us to be that kind of grace to many other people. We look today at Luke chapter 17. We know from the beginning of the book of Luke, in the beginning of the book of Acts, that Luke was commissioned. He was kind of hired to go and research the claims of Jesus. He was super smart. We know from other places, a very intelligent uh, physician. And so he was hired to go and, and seek out what the truth was about this guy named Jesus. Did these things that they've heard actually happen? And because he's writing for who we believe was probably a Gentile uh, government leader, what you see in Luke is his characteristic is to address everybody. He knows that there's going to be some Jewish folks reading, but there's a big bent towards Gentile uh, understanding and, and wanting them to see the truth as well. Luke is writing this gospel, this, this narrative of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus so that others can believe in Christ just as he has. All right, That's what he's doing. And in chapter 17, we're going to get to listen in as Luke records some of the teachings of Jesus. This is Jesus in a teaching moment. He says this, Luke 17 Chapter 1, he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Make sure we don't miss the very first words that Jesus says. He says, listen, he's talking to his disciples and here's what he says, Temptations to sin are sure to come. Temptations to sin are coming. And notice who his audience is here. It says it in the very first couple of words of the verse before we get to the red letters where Jesus is talking. It says he was talking to whom? His disciples. This is not Jesus up on a podium in a place where all the quote-unquote sinners are. This is Jesus talking to the guys who've been following him for going on three years, likely, at this point. He's talking to the ones who aim to be faithful with their lives every day. He's talking to his followers. So easy for us to think that we kind of cross some, some hurdle. We step over some line when we become followers of Jesus, and we no longer are the they that needs to hear about sin and how destructive it can be and how alluring and appealing it can be to us. And instead, we're now the, the they over here that talks to that they. That we're the ones that teach them. And we should be leading and teaching people towards maturity, absolutely. But we can only do that if we don't fail to forget that, that these commandments, these calls away from sin are to us because they're needed for us. It says temptations to sin are sure to come. It's the very nature of temptation that displays our attraction to sin. The very nature of temptation, the way that temptation works, the, I, the, the language originally behind so many times in Scripture where it talks about tempting, it's talking about luring and baiting as if you were hunting an animal or, or fishing. When you go fishing, I'm not an expert fisherman. I've done it a little bit, not, not been great at it. I have more fun wading in the water than I actually do catching fish, but that's a whole other thing. But what I do know is that you learn the fish and what attracts those fish best, and that's what you try to use as the Lord to bring them in to get set on that hook and for their life to be changed forever, either hanging on your wall or living in your belly for a little while. Right? 
You use the specific thing that they're going to be attracted to. This is the core idea behind temptation. And what Jesus is saying to his faithful followers is this. There are going to be moments for you. Moments for you when there's this innate drivenness in you that's attracted to and appealed to by sin. It's going to happen for you. Listen, if it's not tempting, then it's not temptation. <laughs> right now, you could, you could offer me up on a platter, just perfectly prepared and splendid and wonderful, a whole big basket full of kale chips. You could put with it some kind of hummus dip or whatever that stuff is you make out of chickpeas. I don't even know about that stuff, right? It could look as sweet as somebody, somebody, some of you like these things, and I'm not even going to say the word right. Charcuterie boards? I don't know, right? It looks like a piece of wood. We've chopped some stuff up, put it on the board. I'm like, I don't, put it in a bowl, right? What's the difference? I don't know anything about that stuff. You could set that before me all day long, and I, and I would probably, just to be kind, I might pick up like a little, little slice of sausage, but mm, that's great. It's good, right? It would be fine. But nothing in me is drawn to kale chips and charcuterie boards. You could put a half gallon of bluebell banana split ice cream at the other end of a hall with no other exits and a grizzly bear between the two of us, and I would probably think for a minute, I bet I can take him, right? I'm not going to let that melt. <laughs> Somebody paid good money for that. God created the combination of this splendor on my taste buds. Why would I let a simple little bear be a problem? <laughs> because that's what appeals to me. It's tempting and it would cause me to think about doing stupid things because that's what draws me. And the hope today in my heart as I've prayed towards this morning is not that we walk away from here this morning feeling beat up because we're attracted or drawn to sin. I don't want you to hear some message of condemnation and you're not good enough or you're lower than because sin would appeal to you. I want you to hear that it's the human condition and that we have a Savior who's Loving enough and wise enough and kind enough to care for us in that. Listen, when we act as if we're immune to temptation, all we're proving is our pride. <laughs> when we act as if, you know, used to, that might have been something that would have got me, but there's no way now I can just go play around in that territory, no problem whatsoever. When we act as if sin wouldn't appeal to us because we have grown so far that, that sin couldn't possibly trip us up anymore, when we live that way, and though we might not say it with our mouth, so many times our lives can drift that way, especially for folks who've known the Lord for a long, long time. When we live that way, the only thing we're proving is our pride. Remember counseling years ago with a young married couple, and there had been a lack of faithfulness. And, and I remember that there was a family member present as we kind of all talked together about what it might look like to see God reconcile things and bring beauty from ashes. I remember this family member saying to this, this young wife who had who had strayed away from faithfulness in her marriage. She said, I, I think you need to just keep waking up every day and you need to keep going back to that same place where you see that guy and you just need to know that you're strong enough. I think that's good for you to keep going and knowing that you're strong. And I'm sure it was well-intentioned and I didn't cause a brouhaha in the moment, but when the timing was right, I just said with all my heart, listen, please hear this. No. No. 
Scripture doesn't call us to, to gauge our ability to walk away from sin based on our own strength. Scripture calls us to flee temptation trusting the strength of Jesus. Right? So surely temptation to sin will come. And I want to make sure we grasp that for just a minute. If it's your first Sunday here, everything's not usually this heavy. We're going to hear some really graceful stuff in just a minute. But, but it's sin that Jesus is concerned with. It's not an oopsie. It's not a mistake. It's not a, oh, maybe I should have done that differently, retrospectively. It's sin. And it's sin that we should view as heavy, no matter what the nature of it is, because of who it's sin against. <laughs> Quickly, Psalm 51.4, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So it's an awareness that, God, even though I've sinned against that person and hurt them, it's against your standard of holiness. You're the one who gets to set it. You're the one who says what's right and wrong with the world. And I have sinned against you. Isaiah 59, 2, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. Now that's our position pre-Jesus. <laughs> Once we're in a relationship of faith with God through Jesus, God does not reject us. He will not fail to accept us, but it will create for us some relational awkwardness when we come to him, acting as if our sin is just okay and commonplace. Lastly, Psalm 25, 11, For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Not, O oh God, forgive me so that I can feel better. Not, O oh God, forgive me so that I can be vindicated in the eyes of others. But God, first and foremost, for your namesake, Pardon my iniquity. Our sin is sin. Our sin is heinous because it is treason against the great high and holy God. You'll notice that, that you can do something. You can, you can make a transgression against one person that's not as big a deal if it were against another. <laughs> right? Like, not that I would want to do this, but this is just what comes to mind, so I'm rolling with it. But, right, like, if I were today just to, to pull my buddy Shane up here and go, hey, man, I'm just going to slap you real quick, okay, just once, just for fun. Just, I'm going to try to slap the Georgia out of you, right? right? Just no more bulldog in that mouth, right? And, and I just, just one, just one slap, that would be, everybody in here would rightfully be bothered. Like, why would the pastor slap a dude? <laughs> why would that happen? If I slap Shane, that'd probably be a big deal, but we'd probably all go, well, I know Shane, there's no telling what he, I'm just kidding, right? <laughs> just joking, right? Just kidding, right? Now, if you saw me out in the parking lot, Lay hands on my wife or one of my kids. It's a different deal, isn't it? It's the same in one way, but in another way, it's like, whoa, 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 what happened? There'd probably be some serious conversation. There might be some discipline. I may lose a job. There might even be some criminal charges type stuff. But just imagine if, for whatever reason, the president decided he was going to make a visit to Dublin, Georgia. And it doesn't matter if it's this president or the last one, so don't get your feelings all excited or hurt, okay? Just imagine that whoever's holding that high office for our country comes to town and I stand in line acting like I'm trying to get a signature and then he gets close and I just slap. You probably won't see me again, <laughs> right? Not for a long time. <laughs> I'm going to be somewhere where they keep the people that are not right, real sure what's happening in their brains, right? right? Why? Because who is transgressed against makes a difference about how egregious it is. And we, when we sin, from the greatest to the smallest of our sins, every single one is 
absolutely a rebellion, a slap in the face to the God of the universe. You can see how serious God assesses sin in the way that Jesus talks about the one who would tempt to sin. In these verses we just read, he says, listen, if you're the one who would tempt somebody to do that, if you're the one that would tempt somebody to sin, it would be better for you that this big, huge stone, this big millstone where two big, huge, heavy stones would be on top of each other to crush the grain out. So it would be better for you. Make sure you catch what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't saying your punishment is that you should get this tied around your neck and thrown into the ocean. No, no, no. He's not talking about punishment when it happens. He's saying it would literally be better for you that before you tempted somebody, instead you just went over to the market and went, hey, can you tie that around my neck real quick? And then you went and jumped in the ocean and died. (laughs) That's what a big deal sin is. The eyes of Jesus. We need to know, as followers of Jesus Christ, that Jesus has provided for us in his resurrection power to walk away from sin. Yes, thank God. He has provided permanent, forever forgiveness from the penalty of our sin. If we hope and trust in Jesus alone, yes, praise God. But we also need to know, as a church of people who follow Jesus, that it's the following of Jesus that leads us away from the sin. And without that, we are absolutely prone to the stuff. That when, when Scripture is written condemning sexual sin and condemning uh, financial dishonesty and condemning all of this stuff in Scripture, it's not written to the bad folks out there in the marketplace. It was read to the church together because they needed to hear it. And we need to know that for us, if we're going to be an authentic Christian community, that we're not celebrating the presence of sin, but we need to know that sin is a reality. We need to know that the church is messy. If the church can't be messy, messy people who need Jesus won't ever be attracted to the church. Are we trying to be messy? No. Will we be? Yes. Let's read verse 3. What do we do about it when it's messy? It says, pay attention to yourselves, exclamation point, in our hearts, in my mind and heart. God needs to highlight that exclamation point. Pay attention to yourselves, right? Start with you, right? Include your brothers and sisters around you. Pay attention to you first. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. So what do we see here? This if that Jesus is using when he says, if your brother was to sin against you, this is not, in the original languages, an if that's like a one in a million. This is not if you win the lottery, right? It's not what he's saying here. This is an if with an understanding that this is exactly the kind of thing that's going to (laughs) happen. It's like if I look at my kids and go, hey, if you hit your brother, this is going to be the result. Because I'm not championing it, I'm not for it, but eventually brothers are going to hit brothers. I don't know if you know that or not, but it's going to happen. right? It's, it's an if with an understanding that it's coming. Jesus is saying, if a brother sins against you. And so I, I want us to hear this. If we're going to have the courage to walk in an authentic Christian community together, we have to know that offense is a regrettable certainty in the authentic Christian community. It's regrettable. We're not glad about it. We're not trying to make it happen, but it is an absolute certainty that if you church with people long enough and if you church with people real enough, eventually you will hurt some feelings and eventually your feelings will be hurt. 
not aiming for it. We're just inept enough in our broken humanity that it's going to spill out. It's going to happen. It's kind of like my mom telling me, I remember specifically sitting at a stoplight with my mom on the way to school one morning. And I must have been having an attitude or having a tough time emotionally. I don't remember. I was probably about 12 years old. I remember my mom saying, I didn't fully understand what she was telling me then, uh, but I was thankful for it later. But I remember my mom saying, hey, I want to tell you something important. I said, okay. She said, you're going to start having some weird feelings. (laughs) Okay. She said, sometimes you're going to feel things you're not going to understand what you're feeling. In my mind, I'm going like, what is she talking about? Right? She's going, your body's going to grow. Right? Your body's going to change. There are going to be times where you feel mad. You may feel mom and mom, mad at mom and dad. You don't even know why you're mad. You may want to go rip a, a, a friend's head off and not even... I'm thinking like, man, what is... Like, I'm going to go Incredible Hulk here, right? Like, what's... She said, and listen, I'm just going to be honest with you, Jason. Sometimes it may get worse before it gets better. Like, sometimes right now you may feel like it's really hard, but it may feel even harder in the next couple of years. It may get worse before it gets better she was preparing me (laughs) she wasn't excited that I was going to have moments when I I didn't necessarily think the same as I used to or feel the same as I used to she wasn't excited about the fact that there were going to be moments where I was quite certain that I knew at least 10 times more than her and my dad put together plus a thousand right She, she wasn't excited about that but she wanted me to be aware and know hey it's coming and Jesus cares about us So intimately in detail to say, sin is the stuff that I died for. I'm not condoning it. I'm not calling you to it, of course. But the reality is, is that as people who have next steps in faith, that means you haven't arrived yet. You are going to offend one another from time to time. And if we're people who understand that, can you imagine how much more mercy and grace we're able to give to people as they become attracted to the gospel through the ministry of Dublin Bible Church? If we know that I need it, then all of a sudden, right, we're, we're saying to anybody, come on in here and find some mercy and grace and forgiveness in the Lord. We'll talk about these two responses more in the weeks to come, so we won't spend much time here, but just got to make sure that you see what Jesus says. He says, if your brother sins, you rebuke him. You correct him sharply is what rebuke means simply. You rebuke him, and if he repents, you forgive him. So rebuke in hopes of repentance, in hopes of a God-inspired change of mind, heart, and action. And if if you rebuke him and you go to him and correct it, and then you see a God-inspired change of mind, heart, and action, what do you do? It says you forgive him. Right rebuke is always driven by the hope of repentance and a commitment to forgiveness. You're always hoping, if you're rebuking somebody rightly, you're hoping that they're going to repent for their sake and the sake of those they're hurting, even if it's you. And you're committed to forgiveness happening. That doesn't always mean necessarily that that you're as good of friends as you used to be, that you keep yourself in a certain environment to put yourself at risk of yet another wounding. But it does mean that you are for them. It does mean that you want them to know through your forgiveness, the forgiveness of Jesus. There will be messiness in authentic Christian community. Will we be people who rightly, humbly learn how to rebuke, learn how to encourage and sharpen bravely even when it's hard? 
And are we people who will be absolutely committed to? There's no question about where this all ends for us. It ends in forgiveness. Is that us? Finish out this verse. Verse 4. Jesus takes it farther, of course. It's what he does. I love it. Verse 4, he says, And if he sins against you seven times in the day, and he turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. A couple of things quickly. If we're going to be authentic Christian community and there's going to be offense and we're going to figure out how to be brothers and sisters of Jesus together in that, there's a couple of things I want to make sure you hear. Forgiveness does not mean acting like there was no offense. You see, in these verses, Jesus is saying, he comes to you and says, I'm sorry. He repents. He actively is acknowledging there was an offense. It's the very fact that there was an offense that leads to the need for forgiveness. You can't say, I forgive, and at the same time be saying there was nothing there. Forgiveness only happens after offense. And so, right, I think that's empowering for a lot of us as followers of Jesus, because maybe we've kind of somehow subconsciously thought that if I forgive, what I'm saying is, is it's like you didn't do anything wrong. No, forgiving is saying you absolutely did do something wrong. And in the forgiveness of Jesus that I see how great it is over my life, I offer and extend to you the kind of forgiveness he gives to me. Forgiveness doesn't mean acting like there's not an offense, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you continue to submit yourself to a place where that same offense happens over and over again. There are moments in life when wisdom means that I forgive, but I also create some, some safe space as we're figuring out what the rest looks like. Here's what we got to get. It is not our trust in each other. It's not our trust in others, but our trust in Jesus that allows us to forgive. As long as I'm only able to forgive you as much as I can trust you, it's going to be tough. I might try it a time or two, but on time three, it's going get, to get a little difficult. It's my ability to trust Jesus my ability to trust that he's smart and wise even if I forgive and I'm trampled on again he's got me and he knows what he's doing it's my ability to trust that he understands forgiveness better than any of us ever have and he says do it he says you must forgive like I said we're going to jump into this idea of rebuke and this idea of forgiveness more in the next few weeks what I want us to walk away with today is, is a decision in our minds and our hearts. Are we going to be? Maybe you're here today, you're not a part of Dublin Bible Church. Awesome, we're glad you're here. Are you going to be, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, a part of an authentic Christian community? A transparent group of people who don't sugarcoat and try to make it look like more and feel some urge to prepare themselves and present themselves as something they're not, but go, hey, this is who I really am, and it's scared for me to let you see that, but this is the real me. This is how I hurt. This is how I'm broken. Will you commit to that? If we are, we have to accept that the church is a messy place. That there will be offense. We're not glad about it. We want to work away from it. We want to learn and heal from it. But that'll happen. But that's us. And when we let that set the tone for the way that we reach out to and take in other Broken humans just like us. 
how do you walk away from this word today? What do you do with it? Maybe today, some of you have been being the church together for years and years, and I think this church does a great job of being an authentic Christian community in a lot of ways. But here's what I know is a lot of times when people have been being the church together for years and years and years, or when people have been in a family together for years and years and years, there's a lot of room for some stored up hurt and bitterness. I, I don't have anything in mind right now. <laughs> Zero. So before you get upset and come to me and go, who told you? You'll be betraying yourself because I don't know, right? The person who told me will be you. <laughs> I have zero example. I can honestly say zero specific anything's in my mind. I just know that when we're a church with people, sometimes what we do is we act like we're letting love cover. And what we're really doing is just trying to act like it's okay externally and keeping our distance and reserving our love. In a family, in a church, in a friendship. And here's the thing. Just because your bitterness, your coldness, because you're hurt, is not seen outwardly, it doesn't mean it's not absolutely sharp as a dagger under the surface. Are there people we need to go to today and go, hey, I don't know if it was you, I don't know if it was me, and I don't care, I want to make this right. Somebody in this room, somebody in another faith family in this county, somebody in your family, I don't know. There are people we need to go to and go, hey, I acted as if I didn't think people were ever going to sin, and you did, and it hurt, but I, I need to figure out how to forgive like Jesus. Jesus says, if he says he's sorry, if he repents seven times, you must forgive seven times. And the hope and the prayer quickly would just be this, would be that this would be a glad must. It'd be a must. It would be an order, a command that we have to do, but it'd be one that we're also really glad to do. It would be the kind of glad must that I experience when my beautiful wife every once in a while looks at me and says, kiss me. I say, yes, ma'am. <laughs> She's telling me to do it. I'm glad to do it. Right? It's the kind of glad must that you experience if your boss comes in and goes, hey, we've been really working hard. You've been doing great. I want you to knock off early this Friday. It's your boss. He's telling you to leave work early. It's a command. You're glad to do it, right? Jesus is saying we must, as people who are defined by his faithfulness and forgiveness, be a people who are glad forgivers, and it should be a glad must for us. What would it look like for us to see forgiveness sprout up in our own hearts and relationships and to see us get to be the conduits of offering that forgiveness from God to other people and seeing hearts come alive as they realize the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? The church is messy, but God is bigger than that. I'm going to ask AJ and the guys to come. We're going to sing. And as we do, we don't sing because you have to sing at the end of a service. In fact, we don't hear a lot of times. We don't sing because it's the Christian thing to do or it's the church rhythm thing to do. We sing because it's an opportunity for us to let God's word sit down in our hearts and for us to voice response to him. But today what I want to challenge you to more than anything is that you would not hear about a Savior who would forgive more than seven times a day, 70 times seven. He's a forgiver and he's glad about it. Don't hear about him and do nothing. So if you need to sit still and jot down a sentence to yourself to take with you and talk to God about later. If you need to find a friend and pray together, maybe about something that seems to have nothing to do with anything we've even talked about today, whatever, just be the people of God responding to the word of God. If I can help you in any way, I'll be right down, down here. I'd love to pray with you, talk with you, anything I can do for you.
We're a messy church, but he's an awesome Savior. How does he want to lead our hearts? Let's pray. God, it's this weird thing, God, to to point out and realize and recognize the regularity even of our depravity and how broken we are. How even though we're your people and we're your called out ones, holy and peculiar, and even though, God, we pray that our lives are growing and what that looks like practically every day, it's still true of us that our lives look much less like you than we wish they did. Thank you for your grace, Jesus. I pray, God, that you would lead our hearts by your Spirit into those moments where we need to go offer forgiveness, into those moments where we need to go seek forgiveness. God, I pray that you would guide us to see those around us as sinful as we are. To see them around us as broken, but broken as we are. And as we do that, that our hearts will be made glad at how wide you fling your arms open to draw us in. And that that would compel us to to offer that same kind of embrace to others. We love you, Jesus. We, We loved to love you more than we do. We long for that. So bring us to that place. Lead us now. It's our heart. In your name. Amen.